Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky finished up our series, The Disruptor, talking about how Jesus disrupts the distance or the shame in our lives that causes us to feel distant from God. We looked at Luke 5, verses 1 through 10, where Simon Peter puts distance between himself and Jesus because of the shame he felt. Matt talked about how a lot of times we get this out of order, but the Bible shows us that God loves us in the midst of our sin and that there is grace given for that sin. We finished up the night looking at John 21, verses 1 through 14, another interaction between Simon Peter and Jesus, but this time post-resurrection. Matt talked about how Jesus asked Simon Peter three times if he loved him and wanted Peter to fight the shame he was feeling with the truth of God's love. We hope you are encouraged and enjoy this message. My name is Matt Densky. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Fellowship Greenville. I serve with an amazing group of people, and we just have a heart for the next generation. We believe in you guys. We love you guys, and we want you to know that God loves you too, and we are convinced and convicted that you have a place to belong, and I know sometimes it may not seem that way, and I, and I know um, oftentimes we just kind of float through life wondering, like, man, do I have a a place? Do I have a purpose? Do I have an identity? And we want you to know we believe that that can be found through the love and presence of Jesus Christ um, and that you belong here and you're loved here. So thanks for joining us tonight. We've been in the midst of a series entitled The Disruptor, as you see behind me here, and we've been focusing on Jesus and how he disrupts certain things in our life, right? Clever name. And tonight is the last week of that series. Yeah, it's been a long ride though. It's been a long, it's like an eight week series. We usually don't go that long. But next week, we have a special treat. We have a guest speaker. I will not, I'm not gonna let the cat out of the bag. I'm not gonna spoil it, but it's gonna be real good. But we kick off a new series next week that we're really excited about as well. So tonight's the last night of The Disruptor. Um, a few years ago, I was at this gym. I was, I was working out, I was getting my, my, my swole on, you know, drinking whole milk. I don't understand the laughter there. You get swole on the hole. Everybody knows that, man. Anyways, I was at this gym, and I was, I was uh, in like this, this in-between sets. I was resting slash sitting on a bench and looking at my phone longer than I should. And I started eavesdropping on everyone around me. I don't know if you guys do that in public. But I do that all the time. I think I've told you guys, sometimes I'll actually like, uh, it's kind of weird, but like if I see people talking from a distance, I'll actually like narrate what they're saying. Like, oh, Sally, we shouldn't break up. You know, we're such a good couple. And she's like, we were, you know, like, I don't know. I just like, I like narrate. So I just have such a good time with it, man. Anyway, so I started eavesdropping and this one guy uh, in the gym, what he starts to say catches my attention. Uh, it's kind of a big dude, right? Like he, he's kind of gruff looking and big, and, and I was just kind of paying attention to him, and he made this comment, because he started talking about church, and so I was like, oh, do, 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 like my ears just beamed in, right? And he made this comment that I overheard as I was eavesdropping. He said, he said this, he said, man, if I ever walked into a church, I would probably uh, get lit on fire. That was his comment. If I ever stepped foot in a church, God would probably set me on fire. Meaning like, man, I've lived such a bad life. I've lived such a rough life. If I ever go into the house of God, if I ever go into a church, like that place would burn up. I'd burn up. Like there's no way God would delight in that. And I overheard him say this and I was like, man, wow, what a worldview. Like what a bleak outlook on life to perceive 
God that way, but also God's people that way, and yourself that way. I mean, I was like, man. And so, I don't know if you know this about gym etiquette, but especially, like, bro etiquette. But in the gym, it's like caveman speech. Like, you don't resort to words. You're just like, like, you just, you're just doing your thing, man. Like, beating your chest like some savage gorillas, right? Like, you don't, you don't go up to someone and try to actually have a conversation that takes them off the rhythm of their workout, right? But I, I just started to feel like, burdened for this guy like man that dude does not understand the love of God but what if he could what if he did and so I, like I'm, I'm just over there like trying to I'm just trying to finish my workout but I cannot let go of this guy and I'm sure everyone I'm sure everyone's there like when you're doing your workout you're thinking about the deep theological intricacies of God right like you're there too I mean, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get my bench press and consider, like, eschatological dualism and, and what all that means. You know what I mean? Like, hey, man, what's your max bench? Jesus inaugurates a new age. <laughs> I mean, 235, dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're there. Lucas. Yeah, I love you, man. So I, I just couldn't. So I, I went up to him. I went up to him. I said, hey, man, my name's Matt. And he said, I'm Jason. It's like, Jason, nice to meet you, man. Hey, look, this is super weird and kind of awkward for me, too, but I couldn't help overhear what you said a minute ago because I was intentionally eavesdropping on you. And, um, and man, I heard, you, I heard you describe that if you ever walked into a church, you feel like God would set you on fire. Like, like that's your worldview. And I said, man, I, I just want you to know that is not how God thinks about you. I just want you to know that he loves you, no matter what you've done. And obviously, this is like an awkward, I mean, we're surrounded by like metal clanging and like some weird like 80s rock music. Like this is a, one of those grimy gyms. This is not like the country club gym, like Planet Fitness, where you're not allowed to break the decimal. Like there's nothing like that, right? Like this is just this grimy old school. You got some like ACDC going in the background. Like, black and black, right? And I'm over here like trying to talk to him about the love of, right? Like just a crazy setting. And I'm just trying to say, hey, man, I just want you to know God loves you. He loves you, dude. You would, he would not set you on fire. In fact, I think he would delight for you to come to his church. And he was kind of taken back by this, right? I mean, obviously, it's kind of a weird timing, weird place. He, was, he didn't know it was coming. And man, so we just started talking about life. I got to know a little bit about him. I got to know he recently went through a divorce, but he also has a fairly new girlfriend who's much younger than him, right? A lot of question marks there, but hey, man, I'm, I'm just here to talk about the love of God in the moment. I also learned he has a little girl, a daughter, that he shares custody with and he gets so excited when it's his weekends with her it was just so cool to hear him talking about his little girl I just started to hear a story and then I learned that he loved to play chess weird and actually actually he'd like finish a pump like he'd and just go over to a board and like do a move with some dude that's getting a pump somewhere like they would play chess that way at the gym I'm like this is so odd man but okay like pawn to e7 you know what I mean like I don't know dude and I just started to learn about him. Every time I came to the gym after that, I would see him. And sometimes I'd just give him the head nod, classic, like, what's up, dog, right? <laughs> but sometimes I'd go over and talk to him, and we'd just pick up where we left off. I just wanted him to know that God loves him. That's all I wanted him to know. I wanted to correct that view that he had of himself and of God. 
And if we're honest, I think so many of us struggle with that view. In fact, as I've met with a lot of students over the years and talked to a lot of students over the years, one of the things we we wrestle with and grapple with, I mean, it clings to us like a parasite, is this idea of shame. That because of what I've done and because of who I am, that I'm either undeserving of God's forgiveness or, or, or I'll never obtain it or I've got to clean myself up somehow. Like I've got to do a few things first. I've got to earn my way to God. I've got to work my way to God. I've got to make the right decisions and say the right things and be the right things and do the right things and dress the right way and change my look and change my friends and change my rhythms and go to church. I've got to do all this stuff and then God will love me, maybe. But this idea of shame drives this wedge in our minds between us and the love of God or the presence of God. Shame is this invisible, figurative wedge that we allow to, to define God's love and presence and how it operates. And somehow we begin to think, I cannot be loved by God because of what I've done. And that equation in life totally negates who God is. It fully emphasizes who you are. This is where Jason was at in life. If I walked into a church, man, I'd burn up. Dude, that's, but that's not true. And I want you to know that. And I want to look at a, a passage of Scripture tonight. Uh, I actually taught out of this passage about a year ago, but I came at it at a different angle. So it might be a little familiar. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and then we're going to be in John chapter 21. It's the same story, just the beginning and ending. That's why we're in different books. But I want to look at this, and I want you to know that Jesus disrupts the distance. Jesus disrupts the distance that you think exists between you and God, that you think is there. This wedge, this, this shame, this thing living in between you and God. Jesus disrupts the distance. In fact, all throughout scriptures, the story of scripture is how God has pursued his people because he loves his people and he wants a relationship with his people and he has made a way, he's bridged the gap, he's created proximity He's made it possible for us to be whole again with him. The presence of God fully experienced in the most intimate proximity. No distance. Jesus disrupts the distance. And I guess you could maybe put a little asterisk footnote there. Jesus disrupts your shame if that is what's creating the distance in your life. But let's jump in. Luke chapter 5. So Jesus has been doing some ministry for a while. His reputation is known. He's also been with his disciples here and there, um, so they know who he is. This is a little bit into his public ministry, but he hasn't like formally, formally invited them into the, hey, walk with me, follow me on the day in and day out, and this is about to happen. But this isn't like their first meeting, although it, it kind of seems that way with the, the wording here. On one occasion, Luke chapter 5, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's also Peter, Simon went by Simon and Peter, which was Peter's, he asked him to put out a little bit from land. He sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So Jesus is creating a natural amplifier, a natural amphitheater. He's going out onto the water so his voice can carry across the water and back up to the land, the banks of the land, which rose up a little bit there. So Jesus is creating this amphitheater, right? 
But Peter is a fisherman by profession. That's his profession. And you fished in this area, uh, and this time you fished at night so that you could have fresh fish to sell in the morning at the markets. You caught them at night, sun rose, you went to the markets to sell them fresh. Peter has just gotten off his shift. The, day, the night is done, like he's washing his nets. That's what we see. Like he's done, he's cleaning up, he's washing his net. Jesus, and I love Jesus, man. He sees Peter over there cleaning up. He's like, all right, I'm just going to step in the boat, though. Hey, Peter, you mind going back out? Peter's like, oh. <laughs> right? Like, anybody ever pulled a long shift, and then it turns out you got to work even more? Maybe your boss is like, hey, can you actually work a double tonight? Like, right? Maybe not. But this is what happens, this is what happens to Peter here. He finishes up. Jesus steps into the boat, which I love this, by the way. I love this imagery. Because look, Jesus was teaching the word of God. People wanted to hear the word of God. Jesus is standing by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two boats by the lake. The fishermen had gone out. They were cleaning their nets, getting into one of the boats. Jesus doesn't ask. Like, I love Jesus. Man, Jesus is so disruptive. Like, he breaks so many cultural norms. You ever been parked at a red light and someone just slips right into your car? Because that's essentially what Jesus is doing. Hey, man, you mind if I just hitch a ride right, right quick? Like, he just gets in because he's teaching the word. He wants to create an amphitheater, so he gets in the boat. He's like, hey, yo, Peter, you mind? Can we, you got this? But look, Jesus, we believe, is God. He could have done this any number of ways. But Jesus walked down to the boats, and he got in. And I want you to know how significant this is. Like, Jesus approached the docks. Jesus approached the boats. He didn't tell all the people there, like, hey, 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 I got a message, but if y'all want to hear it, y'all need to come to me. I'm going to be up on the top of that hill. You got to climb the mountain. You got to come up there, and then I'll tell you what I got. Nope. Jesus actually steps into their world, into their language, into their profession, into their worldview, into their culture. Hey, I'm going to approach you guys. I'm going to come down to the docks, and the language might be unsavory, and the topic of conversation might be a little inappropriate. And people might be rough around the edges. <gasps> a Christian hanging out with such people? Jesus steps into their world. Why? To share the love of God. The word of God. He steps into the boat. They go out. Jesus teaches. And people are like on fire to hear the word of God. Like, ah, oh, the word of God! Like, that's why they were wanting him. That's how verse 1 begins. When he finished speaking, he looks at Peter... And he says, hey, man, you feel like, <laughs> you feel like fishing? <laughs> like, Peter just worked the night shift. Dude, you, you hijacked my boat, which apparently you don't know how to drive because I'm doing it for you. And now you, wanna, you want me to fish? No, I do not feel like fishing. He gets done teaching. Like, I'm, I just want you to imagine this scene. He's teaching. Like, let's just say he's wrapping up his sermon. And in conclusion, God loves you. Peace. Amen. Hey, dog, you want to catch a few things or what? Like, that's the scene. What? No, man, I want to go home and sleep. When he finished speaking, he says to Simon, why don't you put out into the deep waters and let down your nets for a catch? Peter says, look, master, we toiled all night. Like, we worked all night, and we got nothing. Like, nothing. This place didn't produce any fish. But because it's you, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. I'll do it for you. 
Tell me, what profession was Jesus? Anyone know? Carpenter. Yeah, he's working with wood and like stones. What profession is Peter? A fisherman. Who's the professional? Peter. Man, he's the angler. He out there, he got the bass by the, by the lip, holding it. You get the perspective picture. Oh, look how big that is. Actually, it's like a one-foot bass, right? Like Peter's, a one-foot bass actually would be pretty big. Peter's, Peter's got it, right? Anybody ever tell you how to do your job that you know how to do really, really well? And they have no context. I had a roommate once in, in college. I love him to death. Some of you guys know him, Stallion. Stallion is from Italy. Any Italians in the house? Okay, a few of you guys. Someone just did a clear throat. I don't know what that was about. Okay, any Italians in the house? <clears throat> Let me get my hand going. L'Italia mi piace molto, okay? My boy was from Italy, and Italian culture is basically like, hey, I'm going to tell you how to do it better. I can't, I can't tell you what it was like rooming with this guy. Like, no context, no clue of so many things. And he would just come in and be like, it doesn't look good. What are you talking about? I'd do it better. You know the teeth, the teeth suck thing? That's the, that's like the final word in Italian. No, looks like junk, right? Like, what is that? And I'd be like, dude, what are you, we, we would have so many, like we were an old married couple, we would have so many fights about the dumbest things. I, I just can't even, I can't even get it. So one day I was like, I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going to teach him a lesson. I'm going I'm to give him a taste of his own medicine. So one of his pet peeves is if you have a pen. Can I see this pen real quick? Okay. See this little clicky part on the bottom? Okay. The part that like clips to your shirt and stuff, although I can't do it right now. Uh, the part that clips to your shirt. Stallion's pet peeve was, my roommate's pet peeve, if you snap that off, he hated it. He hated it. So I was like, <clears throat> I'm going to teach this boy a lesson. That homeboy. Like I... So here's what I did. He was in class one day, and he and I went to the same church. We volunteered in the same student ministry, so we had a bunch of these like generic church pins. They all looked the same. You know what I'm saying? I took his cup of pins on his desk, and I hid them. I hid them, right? Like I was, I was thoughtful. I took all my pins that looked identical to his. I put them in his cup. And I waited. Homie comes in the room after class. And I was like, look, man, I'm tired of fighting. And it just seems like you don't understand my perspective. So let me, let me break it down. I picked up one of the pins out of his cup that I had put there. Pop that sucker right off. Dude, I've never seen blood physically through a person's skin move so quickly before. Like literally there was a line of red that rose. Like I just saw it rise. And I was like, all right, so I can tell that got you a little bit. Let me break it down even clearer. I picked up another pin, like popped it off. Blood moves up. Like now we're up to cheek level. I was like, oh, I see I'm getting somewhere. I pulled out two. I did a double take. He's fuming. Like he's, he's like so stunned that I, I'm like, yeah, what now? Pow. Like what? What? Dude, he was, he was so angry with me, and I try to help him understand, but this is what it's like when you know something you do bothers me and you don't care. And by the way, those were all my pens. I just broke them for a visual illustration. Yours are in my drawer. And he was like, I hate you so much. I was like, <laughs> anyway, Jesus is coaching the professional. Like, you understand, like, that, that, but it's Jesus, and Peter understands enough about Jesus at this point to respect him. Notice the master, master, 
We've been out all night and caught nothing. But because it's you, it's at, all right, we'll do it. But Peter doesn't think it's going to work. Man, we, we, we've done this. We've been here. But he does it. Peter lets down his nets. This is not how you fish in this area. Broad daylight. This is like uh, surface kind of fishing, and this is just not how you do it. Broad daylight. They let down the nets. When they had done this, verse 6, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking. This is a miracle because you don't catch fish this way. This is something supernatural. Obedience to Jesus and his word produced this effect in their life. This is their experience because they obeyed. This is supernatural. And when they had done this, they had this large number of fish. Their nets were bursting at the seams, and they signaled to their partners. They're like waving over the other boat. Hey, guys, you got to help us. You got to help us. So the other boats start coming over, and they came and filled up both boats so that the boats began to sink. You know how much weight it would take to sink something as buoyant as a boat? I mean, this, is, this haul of fish is supernatural. It's miraculous. When this happens, when they get the fish into the boat and Simon's kind of looking around and the water, maybe the water starts coming in because it's sinking a little bit and, and the boats are going down and Peter realizes what's going on, that this is a miracle. Look at how he then responds to Jesus. Verse 8, Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees. Which you got to imagine this scene here. They're in a boat. It's filling up with water, apparently. And there's fish everywhere around them. And Peter's like clearing out fish to get at Jesus' knees. He bows down. And look at what he says. Depart from me. Get away from me. For I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man, Lord. Does that strike anyone else as like, oh, that's not what I thought Peter would say? Like maybe some worship, thank you, might be a response, right? Like Peter's a professional fisherman. This is, this is the catch. This is a game changer. This isn't just like, oh, I had a good day out on the Sea of Galilee. Like this is like, no, dude, we, we, we could maybe buy a few more boats. Like we could get an entrepreneur entrepreneur we get a franchise going like we could run the sea of god like this is the catch this is a life-changing catch this amount of income this amount of fish and you think people like oh my <laughs> jesus thank you nope get away from me depart from me i'm sinful it's so interesting like peter understands at this point in his life that god is working through Jesus, but Peter doesn't fully understand that Jesus is God. And he's starting to get these glimpses of divinity. And it's, it's fascinating, if you read through the Old Testament, any time that humans have an encounter with divinity, or, 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 or divine spaces, or presence, maybe an angel, or something like that, the typical response is fear. To be scared. I mean, imagine, you know, you're at home watching Netflix, I don't know, on TikTok, I don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're at home, all of a sudden you, you get that feeling, you know what I mean? Like you're being watched. You slowly turn around. There's like this radiant light, blinding light, beam of a light angel, like floating above you, right? Like, it's pretty normal, I think. I might be a little startled myself. 
Peter here is, is in that same headspace. You're holy, I'm not gonna, you're like, let's create, in other words, let's create distance between us because of who you are and who I am. Sound familiar? You ever have an awakening moment in your life when you realize who God is and who you are and your instinct says, I can't be near him. He's too holy. And your brain starts work. I got to create distance. I got to create distance. Depart, depart from me. I can't be this near to you. I'm sinful. I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm messed up. Man, you don't even know what I did last night before, before I came on the shift to fish. You don't know what I did. Dude, you don't know what I did last week. Jeez, Jesus, you're clearly holy. Please just depart from Like, it's this headspace of distance because of who you are and what I've seen and who I am and what I know. Does that resonate with you? Shame. What's interesting is Jesus, Jesus responds then to Peter like this. Uh, verse 9, for, for Peter and all who were with him were astonished. They were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Peter. And Jesus says to Peter, look at this, don't be afraid. That's an interesting response. Jesus, you're holy. Depart from me. I'm sinful. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Remember, when, when hu humans encounter divine, typically the response is fear. And I think there's some, some sense in Peter of like, ah, ah, I'm like dead if I stay in your presence because of how holy you are. And Jesus is comforting. Don't, 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 don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. So this, this, whole, this whole thing is this, this, this visual representation of what Jesus wants Peter to do. Peter, my, my word, did you see how hungry the people were for my word back there? They, they just, they, the, the word was, was almost like the, the bait. And, and, and I was attracting the people. And then I taught them. And then I had this miracle happen. I wanted you to see obedience to me centered around my word produces the catch of men and women for the king. I, I want you to see this. You'll be fishing men. And when they had brought in their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, which is pretty amazing considering this is a life-changing catch. This is like, man, I went to the gas station. I just decided to buy a random lotto ticket. Turns out it's scratch-off or whatever, $2 million jackpot. Not the most in the world, but dude, certainly life-changing. And they decide to leave it and follow. They abandoned it. Their profession, the prophet. Some, some presuppositions of who Jesus is or, or who God is. Peter recognized who's in front of him and his instinct was distance. Jesus' response was comfort. Jesus disrupts the distance. So think of it maybe, maybe like this, all right? I have these blocks. These are, these are my sons play with these, okay? Shout out for wooden play blocks, toy blocks, okay? I know they're kind of small. Bear with me, guys, in the back, okay? Gosh, don't give me those judgmental looks. My goodness, okay? You guys see the numbers? One, two, three? Okay. They're in proper order right now, right? Yes? One, two, three? Blue, number one, represents the love of God. 
read, number two, represents our sin. And green, number three, represents God's grace. Forgiveness of sin, God's favor, the grace he lavishes on us, not because we deserve it, but because of who God is. This is, as you read the scriptures, the proper understanding of God's character, of God's heart, of God's love. Let me break it down like this. Because God loves us, period, because he's so amazing, because of who he is, because of what he's done, because he loves us in the midst of our sin, we didn't do anything to earn this love, deserve this love, He just loves us because of who he is in the midst of our sin. It enables us to receive and apply his grace on our hearts and then apply it to others. This is the proper understanding when you read through the scriptures. God loves you even in the midst of your sin and there's grace for your sin. Because of your sin. Forgiveness. But it's really, really interesting. We take these truths And we're really, really good at rearranging them. You guys ever notice this? So, for instance, we might do something like this. We switch out the number one and two. So now it goes two, one, three. And here's this mentality we get into. The emphasis is no longer on God's love. Now it's out of order. The emphasis is on our sin. So we begin to have this mentality. Man, I'm just, I'm such a wreck. I'm such a sinner. I'm just such a screw up. I'm such a mess up. I just need distance from me and God so that I can get my life right. I got to put in all this effort and earning. I've got to create these self-propelled, self-willed ideas about how to get better. Anyone make some resolutions for 2020 that have already crashed and burned and it's March? You know what I'm saying? Like the mentality is not, God, could you help me? The mentality is, be better, Matt. Come on, dude. Stop messing up all the time. Can anyone relate to that? Is anyone in this room their own worst critic? Where shame is somehow your motivator? Man, you you, you idiot. Right? You just speak to yourself in these ways. The emphasis is on you and who you are and all the mistakes you've made. And so you kind of come up with this idea. I've got to fix myself. I've I've got to just be better, be better, be better. Stop sinning so that, so that I'll receive the love of God. then maybe he'll love me. Or I'll at least feel maybe earning enough to receive it. And then once I receive it, then I'll apply God's grace to my life. Anyone relate to this? Man. Or maybe instead of switching out that two and one, we do maybe a little something like this. We... Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Butterfingers McGee. Don't judge me, man. God doesn't. (laughs) Okay. Maybe we do something like this. We switch out the three and the two. So, look. The emphasis is still on God's love, but God's grace is out of order now. You guys see that in the back? So, so this mentality, this mentality doesn't earn God's love and doesn't earn God's grace. It abuses it. This mentality says, man, I am loved and I have infinite grace because of who God is. So we don't even need to worry about sinning all that much. Like it doesn't even need to be on our radar. 
We don't need to have heart checks. We don't need to be sensitive to the spirit. And and I want to say something real quick because we're talking about shame tonight. Shame is a device from the enemy that creates an emotional wedge between you and Jesus. Conviction is something from the spirit of God. Conviction and shame are very different, though. The enemy shames you. It's not just that you've done something wrong. It's that you are something wrong. Jesus does not shame. He convicts due to sin. And I know sin's not a popular word in this generation, right? Like, man, sin man, sin ain't real. Like, everybody's truth is everybody's truth. Sin ain't real. Man, let somebody slap your mama and tell me you ain't gonna about, about to get upset about that. Sin is real. You know what I mean? Like, there are things that you just know that's not right. You're created that way. God loves me. I have infinite grace. So why do we need to worry about sin? This doesn't earn God's love. It abuses it. And hear me. Following Jesus is is way more than just obeying rules. But it's also not less than responding in obedience to God. It's not less than obeying rules either. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. Man, because grace abounds, should we just go on sinning? No, that's not the proper response. Grace exists because you sin, not for you to sin. It's very different. The scriptures present something a little bit like this. God loves you in the midst of your sin, and the proper response is to receive grace and apply grace, which in turn will motivate you to love Jesus, to, 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 to be obedient to Jesus. The more I realize my wife loves me, the more I am blown away by that, the more in turn I, I, I want to love her. Because I'm earning something? No, because I've already been given something. I'm working from the foundation, not towards the goal. Is this making sense? Look at what Peter's doing. I'm sinful. You're holy. Let's create distance. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now, Jump with me. John chapter 21. This is the ending of this story. Jesus is dead. He just rose from the dead. He defeated death. Yeah, Yeah, amen. That's why I believe in him. Without the resurrection, Paul says faith is in vain. The resurrection is the pivotal point. He rose from the dead. He's revealed himself to his disciples a couple of times, but there's this mysterious thing going on. They don't always recognize him and his post-resurrection body. And this is one of those cases, John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So now it's in a different body of water altogether. He revealed himself in this way. Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. That's James and John. And two other disciples were together. Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. And they say to him, we'll go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, they fished all night, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. They don't recognize him. It's kind of an odd you're fishing all night. Sun's coming up just light enough to start seeing silhouettes and things like that. And they see the silhouette of a man on the shore. And they're like, oh, that's odd. And all of a sudden he yells, children, do you have any fish? And guys are like, no. <laughs> like, 
It's an odd interaction. They don't know who he is yet. He says to them, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat? And you'll find some. Maybe they started, you know, raised eyebrows. Maybe they're looking at each other like, dude, you think, you think this is him? You think it's him? So they cast the nets. And they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Sound familiar? Luke chapter 5, except a couple of years later, right? Like Jesus is tying up that story. Like these two, it's the beginning and end of this, of this idea. They were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. It was so heavy. The disciple whom Jesus loved uh, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. He was stripped for work. And I love this, man. He just threw himself into the sea. I love that, dude. Like a Matt Peter's just this like grimy dude, like fishing all night, shirt off, bare chested. The stranger's like, children, y'all caught anything? You're like, nah, dog. Dude's kind of weird, right? Like, why do you call his children? <laughs> like, I don't know, man. And then the guy starts giving advice. Maybe toss it to the right side. And like, okay. Toss it. <laughs> Super catch. They start looking around. You gotta be kidding me. And then John's like, Peter, it's Jesus. Peter's like, <laughs> I gotta put my shirt on. So Peter puts his shirt on, and I love this, man. Other disciples are like, should we row in? Do we go? And Peter's like, Ping! like he's off the boat, <laughs> throws himself in the water, and he swims to shore. I just love Peter, man. He swims to shore. The other disciples came in the boat. They're like, yeah, Peter, we'll see you. We'll meet you there. They come in the boat, dragging the, the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. So Peter just swam a football field over here. They got out on land. They saw a charcoal fire in place. Jesus has already started a little fire with a fish laid out on it and some bread. Jesus is cooking breakfast. How do I know that? Because he's about to invite them into breakfast. Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And there were so many, the net was not torn. Interesting. There's a lot of, I wish we had like 10 more hours maybe. Remember that first passage? Fish of all kinds and the net was torn. They had to fish in the deep. This one is fishing off the shore. There were large fish, not a variety, but there were so many, but the nests were not twin. There's some things going on. We don't have time to get into them. Anyways, <laughs> oh, man, maybe we do a new series. What do the fish mean? We'll just call it that. <laughs> Jesus said to them, one of the most holy invitations in all the Bible, come and have breakfast. Y'all wonder why I love breakfast food so much. Wonder no more. I'm just a man of God. I'm just trying to be obedient Eggs up grill is a calling in my life. It's not a choice, okay? Now, none of the disciples even dared ask him, who are you? They knew who it was. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples who he was after he was raised from the dead. Now, I want to look at the story because this is really, really amazing. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has been brought back from the dead. He's been risen from the dead. As Jesus was approaching the cross and his suffering and his death on the cross, he went through a trial that was illegal in all sorts of ways, according to Jewish law and customs. But he went through this trial. He was falsely accused. He was convicted, and then he was crucified like a common criminal. And 
in the midst of that trial, the disciples became very fearful. They were, they were scattering, they were fleeing, they were running. But a few times, some people recognized Peter, and they actually asked him, Hey, aren't, aren't you? Aren't you one of the guys that follows this dude? And Peter's like, Nah, man. No. I'm not. And then it happened again. He's standing around a bonfire. Someone asked, Man, did not, don't I know you? Aren't you the... No, nah, not me, not me, not me. You got the wrong guy. And then one time, like this little middle school age girl <laughs> like, asks him, man, aren't you, isn't he in pure? Like, no, like he just snaps on this girl. But get this, three times Peter denies Jesus, three. Imagine loving someone that much, seeing them suffering, seeing them on the road to death, and you have multiple opportunities to align yourself with the person whom you love. You have multiple opportunities to defend him or, or take a stand for him or, or, or declare your allegiance or love. And Peter has three of those opportunities and blows them all. I imagine he's wrecked and torn up and just devastated and wrestling with, with that decision. But look at his approach to Jesus. Once he realizes it's Jesus, he throws himself into the sea and he swims to Jesus. A couple of years ago, once he realized it was Jesus, he hadn't even denied him, not once, but once he realized it was Jesus, get away from me, depart from me. And now, after denying him, which exponentially is probably worse than anything he had done before that first time. Now, is he creating distance? No, he's swimming to Jesus. Something has happened in these two years where Peter learned an important lesson, that no matter what I do in my life, the only wedge that separates me from God is the one that I decide to put there. And no matter how far gone I am, and no matter what decisions I've made, Grace abounds, and I receive forgiveness in the presence of Jesus. And Peter throws himself off the boat to swim to Jesus after denying him three times. He's learned something. Shame is a lie from the enemy that will drive you far from God. It creates this emotional wedge between you and God. Jesus does not shame. Now they're sitting around at breakfast. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast in front of all the other disciples, so this is a real intimate moment. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says this, Simon, Son of John. He reminds him who he is, his lineage. Simon, son of John. This is like Lion King. Simba, son of Mufasa, right? Like he's reminding him. This is what Mufasa, remember who you are. <laughs> Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? These could be referring to a number of things the fish, the other disciples, a number of things. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, all right, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said a second time, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon says, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said, he said to him, then tend my sheep. A third time, remember, in front of the other disciples. Like, this is a real intense conversation, real intimate conversation. The other disciples was like, wow, what's going on? A third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands, which is a, a, a figurative expression uh, in biblical language for crucifixion. Jesus is foreshadowing Peter's death here. You'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So basically Jesus is telling him, you're going to die for this. Like one day this is going to cost you. But after this, he says to him, follow me. So many interesting things in this passage. Like why did he say follow me again? Hasn't Peter already been following him for three years the first calling was, Peter, I want to make you fisher of men, and now it's, I'm going to make you tender of sheep. I'm going to make you the protector of the people. Like so many things going on. Peter denies Jesus three times, and now Jesus is inviting Peter to declare his love three times. Kind of, there's so many things going on, but, but here's the deal. Here's the one thing I want to focus on in this final conversation. Peter's own declaration to Jesus says this, Lord, you, you know everything. You know my heart. You know everything. You know I love you. And if it's true that Jesus knew everything, especially post-resurrection, right, like the fullness of, of, of God here, if it's true that he knew everything, then he already knew Peter's answer, right? Especially after that first time, right? Guys, I've been, I've been like chewing on this for, for months this conversation, if Jesus knew the answer to the question he's about to ask, then it wasn't out of curiosity, it was something else. Why did he ask Peter the question three times, do you love me? And I'm still marinating in this, I'm still chewing on this, but here's one of the things I'm, I'm convinced of. I think the mind is a powerful place. I think the conclusions we come to and the realities we live in here can affect the reality out here. And I think Jesus is trying to protect Peter from shame. You denied me three times. I think he's trying to protect Peter from walking down this road of shame and just letting it eat him away and deteriorate his soul. And I also think he's giving him a landmark here to hold on to later when he dies for this faith. But I think... That maybe, just maybe, Jesus is not asking Peter the question so that Jesus hears the answer. I think Jesus might be asking Peter the question so that Peter hears himself say the answer. I think there are times in life we need to look back on and say, no, you know what? I said out loud three times that I loved Jesus and I'll cling to that. Like, I think this is a healing moment in the life of Peter. If Jesus already knew the answer, I think, I think Jesus asked Peter the answer more so for Peter to hear it than for Jesus to hear it. I think Peter needed to hear himself say, I love you. I love you. I, I, I love you.
love you. You know I love you. I think this would be a pivotal memory in the life of Peter to look back on and to bring healing and protection from shame. Sometimes we just need to hear ourselves say things out loud to be reminded of the truth of them. Because when things get bottled up and it becomes internal and we put a cork on that bottle and those emotions and the shame sets in, it can just be poison in us. I think Jesus has taken the top off the bottle. Let the emotions out. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? You know all things. You know I love you. Maybe sometimes Jesus invites us to say things so that we can hear ourselves say them. To protect us from shame or deceit or lies of the enemy. Peter understood something in this moment. That my decisions don't need to separate me from Jesus. And I can approach him. I can swim a football field to get to him even though I've just denied him. I love him. I made some mistakes, but I love him. My hope and my prayer is that us in this room would begin to understand and apply. God loves us in the midst of our sin so that we can receive his grace and in turn love him. Shame has no place. Shame has no stance. Shame has no foundation other than what you allow it. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And I think sometimes he'll invoke the question, do you love me? Even though he already knows it's a yes for us to respond. My hope and my prayer is that our hearts would respond with a resounding yes. We love you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We do. And we declare it. And I know sometimes it's... Uh, awkward in these moments to know what to do with what we hear but here's my prayer I think there are some that may even need to hear this out loud and so I pray that when they go home tonight before they go to bed maybe they're laying in the bed and it just feels so super awkward it's like what do I do I just pray they would say it I love you Jesus to say it out loud to hear themselves say it to receive the grace of God and the love of God and respond in love to God Sometimes we need help, but I thank you, Jesus, that there's no shame in your name. We ask these things in your name. Amen.